0: Good to be back. I am. Um, uh, I am very grateful to the church for praying for me. Um, I felt that uh, this. Uh, the, the, there can be much more that can be said. I won't say too much about it th- this Sunday, um, but um, the prayers of the church and the support of the church has been very uh, powerful, very meaningful to me and my family. And on behalf of the co-family, I'd like to really thank you for supporting us, and especially in prayer. I think um, there was, during this whole process, this whole uh, period of, I think, about three months uh, since I got my uh, initial diagnosis of cancer of the prostate, um, aggressive cancer, apparently, um, I found that there was a a reality that was was, uh, a reality of of God speaking to me words and the reality of the actual cancer, which was aggressive. And at some point, everything you believe internally has to measure up with the reality, physical reality. And there are points in which I was t- having tests that were t- being done, biopsies and different things. And during those times. The question always is: was, um, is it or isn't it? Is it cancer or isn't it cancer? Is it Has it spread to the bone or has it not spread to the bone? Has it, um, is it in the lymph nodes or is it not in, in, the, in the lymph nodes? And it's funny how when you have a question like that, whatever the, the odds, yes or no, it's 50-50. And the possibility of it being the worst, uh, the worst uh, diagnosis is about as, at least psychologically in your mind, about as as high as the the possibility of it not being. But because of the fact that the the impending doom of a bad diagnosis uh, is very impactful, there needed to be something for me that was stronger just to get me through the day. And I found that in my devotions, every day the Lord would speak to me in such a way that it would be encouraging, it would speak straight into the situation, words and scriptures that the Lord gave to me. But at the end of the day, when the day of the biopsy or the MRI or the CAT scan or whatever takes place, you're left with this question, you see. Whatever the Lord has spoken to you or whatever you've heard, it's either going to hold up or it's not going to hold up. Every day God spoke to me a different word. In fact, there were times in which I scriptures would come to my mind um, and I would remember one scripture that was uh, that had in it. You have searched me and tried me in the night and found nothing. And I wish God would give me that word and speak to me that word that I would have found nothing because <laughs> I was longing for the MRI to find nothing, right? But I never got that word. But it kept on flo- flowing in my mind. One day I asked C- Cindy, Cindy, do you have a word for me? I never told her about all these things It was in my mind. She said, Psalm 17. I was praying for you and I got Psalm 17. I said, oh, what Psalm 17. Guess what Psalm 17 said? You've searched me and tried me and found nothing. I went for the bone scan and they found nothing. The, the Praise God. And uh, praise God that um, after the surgery as well, they did extensive um, biopsies and things like that on the prostate gland itself as well as the lymph nodes and all and they have found nothing. So praise God, I am I'm, uh, I'm very thankful to God uh, for, for His sustaining, but especially being able to help me to get through every day. And I don't think I missed any meetings I, or, my, or appointments or anything like that. And the Lord gave me space in my mind, my heart, not to be um, obsessed by what was going on or depressed or anything like that. But every day, um, I, w- I was able to be an encouragement to other people as if... Uh, uh, none of this was happening. Praise God for that. And uh, I would say that daily prayer has always, I don't think I skipped the daily prayer except when I went for tests. And um, daily prayer is something that builds up. It builds up. It doesn't just consist of prayers that we say to God that God already knows about, but it has to do with the building up of our spirit. So anyway, I I want to, more will be said about that later, but let's pray. Go ahead and and, uh, bow your heads and We'll pray. Lord, we welcome your presence. We thank you that you are good and there is none like you. We thank you, Lord, that you invite yourself to be proven in the midst of all the chaos, evil, and um, absurdity of this world. We ask you that you light a path, Lord, that is straight, reasonable, yet supernatural, we thank you, Lord, that you are a present help in times of trouble, and we are, you are the glory and the lifter of our heads. We bless your name, and we thank you, Lord, that through much trial and um, um, adversity, we can prove your goodness, not just your existence. In Jesus' name, amen. If you can please turn with me to Acts chapter 2, um, we were, we've been looking at the church and uh, the household of God. And we looked at the day of Pentecost, and uh, we are on chapter 2 of Acts, and uh, we, was, uh, we shall carry on. <laughs> um, Peter gave his sermon, and he spoke about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember that? He spoke about the Pesha formula that rabbis and, uh, and, uh, and, and the Jewish people had looked forward to, the, the Pesha formula, which says, this is that, because the prophet's, that they studied always said that there will come a time in which there would be the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Holy Spirit, promised, right, in which God will reverse all the effects of the Tower of Babel, yeah, and uh, when Peter gets up to speak, filled with the Holy Spirit, he's, and he and they all see these people speaking in tongues, in the languages of real earthly languages, not just heavenly languages, real earthly languages, people from all different parts of the world, the known world, at least known to them. Uh, Peter said, you see this? This is that. and That's the Pasha formula. He was speaking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible for us to think about church without the Holy Spirit. Church is not the organization of human beings for our own mutual well, uh, benefit or for our own clubby purposes. Uh, the church is not according to the, our own agenda, it has to do with God doing something. If God isn't doing something, and if we're not following the thing that God is doing, and if it is not real, then church is a blinking waste of time, right? So it's just an ob- absolute waste of time. It's not the most interesting, most I mean, it's not the most exciting thing unless God is in it, you know? So I, I don't know how many of you come from a Christian family. Uh, I'm going to tell you stories about, about this. Uh, I used to go up to, a small town where my grandfather used to live. Uh, uh, it's called Taiping, very small town. And uh, one of the we loved going to Taiping, except for one thing: he make us go for prayer meetings every Wednesday. The church was caught. The, the, the family was caught up in church meetings, and I just remember just feeling Taiping is great, except for the fact that you have to go for prayer meetings and and all that, right? Um, and I and I remember thinking thinking that and and uh, and and I. And, and knowing how boring it is, boring it was, yeah. But there was, it's funny because at the end of it, my sisters, my brothers and I, after the prayer meeting, we'd regret it. We would try to find all kinds of ways to get out of it. But, but at the end of the prayer meeting, after we finished from the prayer meeting, we feel really happy and we are glad that we went for it. I don't know what happened there, but we were just glad that it happened to it. I want to put it to you that actually the church is, has to, if, it's, if it is nothing else, it is God moving, and we acting secondarily, not primarily. Not determining our own church churchness, or our own particular excellence in church, and all that, and all kinds of, of, of other things. But it has to do with God doing it. If He's not doing anything, then we have no permission to do anything. We only act secondarily in response to what He's doing. If He's not doing anything, there's nothing to respond to. And so, Peter is talking about the church in that sense. And so, let's have a look at this. Um, let's read it from verse 37. When they had heard this, his preaching, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit so the, the preaching comes to a point where the point is the Holy Spirit is gonna be given. That is the point. The point is not the church and not, not, not the point of, the point is not gonna kind of be good, is that the Holy Spirit is gonna be given, right? Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And so you have this thing. The Holy Spirit is given to your children. Not only to you, but to your children. Those who have your children who are far off as well. Yeah? Your, the, 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 your children who are far off will receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the point. The Holy Spirit is the point. God being, the Puritans call it, being godded with God. was the point, right? So, that's the point of his message. And then he says this. Verse, uh, it's, uh, well, Luke says this in Acts, verse 40. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. It seems like there were two streams. There's a perverse generation, there's a ger- or um, in other translations, uh, a, be- a good translation would be a corrupt generation. Yeah, A, a, a generation that's corrupt. And the generation who near and far will experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And the rest of Acts is a response to these two choices we have. The corruption in this world, and the coming of the Holy Spirit for all our children. Our children are faced with these two two options, and we are all faced with the two options. i put it to you that the household of God that we read about was a response to these two choices. And let's have a look at that. Be saved from this perverse generation. Verse 41, so then those who had received His word were baptized. So that means in following from that, right? Following from that, ensuing from that, um, they were... Baptized, And that day, there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That is the response. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Right? So we've seen that the response of the church organizing itself together was a response to the Holy Spirit now i've been in the church long enough to know that many people and books have been written about the verse verses um, verse verses 43 onwards to verse 47 and it becomes and and many manuals have been written about how to organize the church right oh, well, we've got to have communion we've got to have the preaching we've got to have uh, sharing with one another and there are Um, A a sort of certain certain kinds of Christianity that take kind of like sharing goods and not considering these goods belong to themselves. A certain certain communalism or communism even in, in Christian form. I put it to you that actually all those things are just ensuing from the coming of the Holy Spirit and saving themselves from the corruption of this generation. Saving the next generation. And the way in which they they saved themselves from the corruption of this generation, it was really by devoting themselves. By devoting themselves. May I add one aspect? As they devoted themselves... There's something here, there. Verse 24, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and doing fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Verse Verse 44, they were together and had all things common. There's something intensive about that. There's something of a togetherness, a devotion. There's a certain of an intensification of community that was going on there that was prophetic. That was prophetic they didn't all always sell their things and become a communistic um, community. They didn't always do that, but they were doing it in a prophetic way because persecution was coming. Uh, it was not long before Nero, Caligula, Commodius even, after, after, after Augustus came upon the scene and tremendous corruption began to um, uh, ensue in the Roman Empire, right? Um, I believe that what they were doing was that they were forming households of community, households that were being built together so that God could actually build them up. To save them from the corruption. Today, our children are being told by the world what it takes to be a man or a woman. I can not I can't tell you, only God can make a man. Only God can make a man. I don't care whether he's macho or he's on the soft side. Only God can make a man, because only only God knows what a man is. I'm not a man just because of biology, but biology counts. But God knows what a man is. We have many people who are on the macho side who are trying to be men, but they're not men. They are men, they are made in their own making. They are products of a corrupt culture. And then there are men who are the opposite of that. But no man can become a man unless God makes him. That's why Jesus says to the disciples to start them off a bunch of a motley crew of hopeless bums, right? Follow me and I will make you. Follow me and I will Make you. Follow me and I will make you. God is remaking us. And so when, Pope, when Peter says, save yourself from this perverse generation or corrupt generation, he's saying this, the world wants to get its hands on you to make you in its own image. Make you unsatisfied with yourself. Make you follow, the, follow what everybody is doing, the most contemporary, most cutting-edge thing. No wonder we are bleeding because, of, because we are chasing after cutting edges, right? The point is this. Peter was saying there are two things that are available to us. The power of the Holy Spirit and the corruption of this world. And so the church exists in response to the coming of the Holy Spirit. Yeah? If there's no Holy Spirit. The church is nothing really. Yeah? And so I wanna look at this. Verse forty two says, They were continually devoting. What did they do? They're continually devoting. They're continually devoting. It speaks to me of a certain way in which the church was together. And they were praying together. And as they were praying, there's a dynamic that happens when they came together. The church today is sort of I am in my small corner and you in, in yours and we all do separate things and we come together on the church on Sunday for two hours and then after that we go back and do our own things. We hear the sermon so that we can apply it out there. Yeah? But there is a something special that is happening in the church in which when we get together and pray and, and are built together, God is actually building something that's tremendous. Yeah? Something really tremendous. And may I suggest that actually when, when the church responded to the coming of the Holy Spirit, they responded in haste to this amazing thing that could happen to them, that the Holy Spirit could direct them, empower them, do miracles in their midst. So they wanted to be, wanted to be there for that. I want to invite you to be part of that. But for we, because we as a church don't just meet on Sunday. We actually meet every day. Because of the fact that there is a build-up of something that happens between us and between us and God, that is increasing and that has been increasing for these past two years. I don't see how it can, can, have, can happen without some form of that. Yeah? But this, it's, it's, we'll come back to it. There's a way in which God is building a house. And I want, I want to share about one aspect of this house that God's building and that has to do with the next generation. We as a church are not just a church for the adults, so that the children are kind of shunted away to a little space that we kind of make do for them so that we have enough, enough toys to keep them occupied. The church is not that. The church is a place in which the next generation is raised up, the Holy Spirit, is for the next, for your generations, for generations near and far. So in that sense, I, I think that the church has to rethink itself because of the fact that we tend to think of church as for the cool people around aged what 19 to 64 <laughs> and then the rest the, the rest are just sort of relegated on the edges like if you're you're over 65, 64 you're sort of the old foggy fuddy daddy and then you're if you're younger you just don't exist as a human being you're not a full human being yet but may I suggest to you that everything of church of the household is so that God will prepare our next generation. And I realize that this is a, it's a, this is a really really missing thing that's in the church. Um, and that is why over the past few months, we've been focusing so much on the youth and the children and the pre-Ks because of the fact that we believe that they will be twice as strong as us. That God is raising them with the days ahead in mind we don't know how to prepare our children for what's going on. We're glad, Cindy and I, am glad that our three are adults now and they're doing fine. But I cannot imagine what the next generation is is about to face, it's already facing. And the church is about the next generation. It's about the next generation. And if we are people who just leave it to the church establishment, so to speak, to do the client model in which we just shunt the children out there and then say, take care of it. Um, We are going to miss out. In fact, we have to be active. I would also like to say, for those of us who are singles, that for many years I was single. I got married at the age of 35. So to me, children were spiritual children. Spiritual children. And all of us can have spiritual children as well. People that we brought to the Lord and that God is using us to raise up. But we have to think of household in terms of generations, and in terms of spiritual children. Those of us who are married, who have children, spiritual children. I feel that household, you cannot think about household in terms of good organization so that you have no children involved. A household has to have the next generation in mind. God is raising raising up the next generation. And so I want to encourage all parents to be involved in our pre-K and just play a part, you know, and be involved in that because we as a church are not a a well-oiled organization that's sort of having all these kind of categories of things that we can do for the children. That's all good. I mean, if that's the kind of church that you want, go for it, yeah? But what we are is hands-on. We are involved in what God is doing to build a house. Yeah, To build a house. And if God is building a house, we get to play second fiddle to what God's doing. We all play second fiddle to it. In Psalm 127, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Yeah? Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. Who build it. I don't know what kind of house you and I are, are, are building, but if it is not something that the Lord is building, then that, that He has no part in it. Unless the bar, as, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain that build it. Is the Lord building this house? Is He building your house? Actually, tacit to this is, you can you can put it the other way, the Lord is building your house. Don't sweat it. God is building your house. Not you. Anything that you do that's not the Lord, it's going to be in vain anyway. So the paths that God is building are going to last. The parts that you are building are not going to last. Right? Unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain. Whether it's a marriage or it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a house of your own life that includes people who are single. Unless the Lord is building that house, it's in vain. That means what he's saying is this, God is drawing a distinction between the house that God is building and the house that we are building. All our dreams. And the Lord says, I'm building your house. And I want to say that if that is the case, I want to look very closely at what God is doing. I must let God have have the agenda for this house, for this church, for my house, my house, the co-house household as well. Amen? Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman um, keeps awake in vain. And then you jump to verse 3. Behold, children are the gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. So you're talking about the house. The house cannot be extricated from the children. And what the psalmist is basically saying is this, you're blessed because God has, you're blessed if you have children because God has purposes and destiny for them. They're like arrows. They'll speak to the enemy at the gate. In fact, one translation says they will will spurn the enemy at the gate or they'll make make it turn around at the gate. God has dreams for our children, spiritual children as well as physical children. God has plans for that. I know it's hard for us to think about it because of the fact that we've seen so much tragedy, devastation in that. But I want to tell you that actually God has other plans for your children he has other plans for your children the devil has plans the world has plans they have they'll, they'll 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 they have a plan for your children and they're active about it but god has plans god has plans for your children your children may not be even with the lord right now but god has plans for them amen you may not have children right now but god has plans for you god has children for you whether they're spiritual children physical children he has children that's what house is all about. That's what household is about. Okay? Alright. So I'd like to say a little bit more about this as we as we carry on today. Um, if you can turn with me to Psalm 89. Just, let's talk about the promises of the Lord. What the Lord is doing. Psalm 89. I will sing of the loving kindness. That's the word, the Hebrew word chesed, covenant love, the love with which God has made a covenant unconditionally with us. Chesed. I will speak of the covenant chesed of the Lord forever to all generations. I will make known your faithfulness. Here, you see, see, there's the, there's the generations again. I want to tell the generations about that. Make known your faithfulness with my mouth, for I have said loving kindness will be built up forever. That's the chesed again. It will be built up in the heavens. You will establish your faithfulness. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. And build up your throne to all generations. What basically God is saying is this. I not only have plans for you, but I want to establish your seed. I cannot think of anyone who is so successful, so, so high and mighty, that they are not touched by this vulnerable place in their own heart in which they are concerned for their children. But God has plans for, for them. And He is active in these things. And if we can tap into that, we will have a very different life from the stats, from what the stats are showing. He says, I will build up chesed, covenant love, Covenant love was the covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for their generations and all the generations to come. I'll make them the head, not the tail. I'll make them a blessing in, the, in all the earth. Right? I'll make them. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll make them a people who will manifest my, my beauty and my glory. That's God's purpose for our children. That's God's purpose for all of us, single or, 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 or married. Or, 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 or having children or not, not having children. there's spiritual children that God, God has for me. I had hundreds of spiritual children before I even got married. So I know what it is to be a spiritual kind of a dad, so, so, to, so to speak. To take care of people. Before I was 35. There's a way in which God has plans for them. And these are established in the heavens. It says it will be built up in the heavens. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 says, God is building a, 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 a building a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That's why prayer is so, so important when we come together to pray. We are building up something. You're not just having discrete prayer meetings here and there and there and there and there. No, you're building up something and you can feel the build that's actually happening. So what God's saying is, I'll I build, I'll build your generation's, Even in the times in which your children are going through terrible things, there is something that is going independent of the circumstances that your children are are facing. And that is that he is building chesed, covenant love, the power and the the destiny for your children. There is something that is going on. I have found that with my own children, that has been the case. There have been times in which I have no idea how things are going to go. They could go really, really bad. I've had, we, Cindy and I have had our own share of many, many, many sleepless nights. It does not come easy. It does not come easy. People sometimes look at our children and we think, oh, wow, you're so gifted. That is the last thing. That has nothing to do with gifting. I think Americans are completely wrong many times when they say, you're so gifted. Gifted? Fifted. That's nothing. Gifting has almost nothing to do with it. But there's something that happens that is stronger, more powerful, more authentic. That has to do with the fact that God is, in through our prayer, building in the heavens, in the spiritual realm, something in them that will come, come to pass. I feel that as a church, we need to be dedicated to people, not church activities, no matter how important those things are. Those are things that we say, we serve secondarily. Loving <laughs> kindness will be built up forever in the heavens. You will establish your faithfulness. I just want to say that this is what God, as far as God is concerned, He will establish your, His faithfulness with your children. I'm sure of it. But I'm not making a prediction. I'm making an invitation that when God gives promises, he doesn't make unconditional predictions about what's going to happen that's how Christians can actually get it wrong he's making invitations i've got the table set up for you if you don't eat you don't have it but i'm inviting you into this journey not an easy journey a difficult journey that has excellent things at the end of it but they are there first peter says chapter 1 it says your inheritance is reserved in heaven for you Incorruptible, yeah? undefiled. Does not fade away. It's there, but if you don't respond to it, it remains an invitation. It's not a prediction. Sometimes people say, "Can you give me a word? Give me a prophecy?" What they're asking for is an unconditional pred- prediction that God is saying, "This is going to happen, whatever happens." It's almost like fortune telling, right? No, God says, "Here, the dynamics are already. The provision is there. I paid the price through the through the death of my son." This is what has been open to you and you can join in. Please join because I have more for you than what you're experiencing now. Yeah? And so, um, as we look at at this, Psalm 89 talks a little bit more about this. Verse 9, You rule the swelling of the seas. When its waves rise, you still them. You yourself crushed Rahab. There's something about those that God raises up in this house he's building up. They become unshakable. They are unshakable. Can you imagine that? They're unshakable. One of the things that I was very, very concerned about when I got my cancer diagnosis, Cindy and I, we took more than a day to tell our children about it. Because our three girls are very, of course, as you know, they are very attached to us. Very, they love us very much. And one of the things that um, the surgeon told us is that you may want to really think about support groups for yourself because it's a shock to know that you have cancer. But I was thinking about my children. You know, I was thinking about my children. And so the day it came for us to tell them, and I was very surprised that they took it really well In fact, I was a bit taken aback that they were so cool about it. Aren't you not even crying? And I remember my youngest, Zephanie, very tender. She has a very tender relationship with me, right? Very tender relationship. She's always putting her head on my shoulder and all that. And I was very concerned for her, so we have our regular dates d- during that time and uh, after our date, I had to ask the elephant question, you know elephant in the room question, and says, "So how are you Zefie, Uh caring about daddy 's um, cancer i 'm okay I say, I wanted to ask her, "Why are you okay?"." <laughs> <laughs> And then she said, the Lord spoke to me about this before. I had a dream, and the Lord gave me words. And I dreamt, I dreamt that we were all as a church in this playground, and there were some bad people who are on the, on the side they asked you to come over. And they wanted to put something that's dangerous in your hands. And they put that thing in your hands. And she said some, and I'm I, I must be very careful that I don't get it wrong because I'm sure she's listening to this sermon. Um, and you threw it to the ground and there was an explosion and it's almost as if like when there's a kind of waves of, of sound that goes out and something, some spiritual explosion took place. And she so I knew that God was going to do something. He's going to defeat the enemy in some way through that. And she very quietly, she would tell me, like, these are the things that God spoke to me. She shared with me different scriptures that the Lord has spoken to her in the devotion. At the end of that, when she, came, when she was coming back from Princeton, she had just had her exams, of course. But Cindy asked her, how are you doing, Zeffie?" And Zephi says, I'm exhausted spiritually. You know why? Because she was praying for me. She was praying and doing spiritual warfare. Yeah, she was praying for me. Lisa, completely cool as a cucumber. And just encouraging me, just more concerned about me than anything else. Just completely encouraging, sharing words, sharing, sorry, um, uh, uh, songs, songs with me. Now, Elisa and, and Kaylin were undergoing tremendous pressure because of them starting their exams on in dentistry as well as medicine. And so Kaylin in particular was going through tremendous difficulty. And the problem about that, the thing that made it uh, more complicating was that she had been uh, uh, researching urology. So she was she had been in kek you know, in the urology department, just knowing a lot. The more she knew the more alarm there was caused for. And, uh, and in the midst of that, I would ask her, how are you doing? And, and she would be completely steady, completely steady about it. And I know she was going through a lot. At the end of it all, all of them <laughs> divulged that they had been praying like crazy. But it didn't shake them. It didn't shake them. They didn't blame God. Not one word of blaming of God. Why did my dad have to go through this? You know? Praise God for that. Praise God. What does it take to build a house? What does it take to build a house? If you know that God wants to build your house and that God in spite of everything that's going on, in spite of corruption in this world or whatever it is, God is building your house. In that in the wide expanse of rubbish that's going on in the world, there is a clear road of God building your house. You want to know. You and I want to know what is this house He's building, and what are the ingredients of that? What are the what are the building materials that are there? Yeah. And one of the things that I found is that as we looked at Psalm 89, and when you look at verses uh, chapters like Psalm 78, we won't have time. I'm looking at the clock that is speaking to me very clearly. It is testimonies of how the parents experience God and walk with God so that the experiences of the parents of miracles become the normal environment, the air that the children breathe. Does that make sense? One of the things that um, one of my daughters told me when she was in Hopkins, so we won't tell you who, um, when she was going through um, all kinds of difficult things that were testing her faith, she told me once, you know, Dad, what made me not give up my faith was because I knew that God was real in our family. I knew that everything that you speak about is real. It's real. It's real in your life. It's real in in our lives as well. Praise God. Now, there was something. I'll give you an example. This is some of the, some of the things that can happen. When children see their, their parents experiencing God, then they themselves hunger after that, right? Um... Recently, um, Kaylin um, sent a picture of a beautiful jacket, Patagonia jacket, University of Michigan Medical School jacket, which they're all supposed to get. <laughs> it costs about $126 plus, plus everything. We're on, we on a tight budget. So we're thinking, we'll get it for her for Christmas. And then the Lord spoke to me. I want you to ask me for these things. Not for Christmas. Just ask me so that she will have it. And my heart wanted to get it for her. Not for Christmas. but just get it. And so Cindy and I made an agreement like, we're going to get it for her if the Lord gives it to us. And the Lord had been speaking to me, you know, Psalm 21 says, he asks, he, uh, he gives him his heart's desire. And I found that, you know, as I've been walking with the Lord, the Lord that's always saying, ask, just ask, ask. And I found that everything I asked for, God seems to be giving. And I'm surprised by that. So he said, ask. So we didn't tell Kaylin, we didn't tell any of our children about it. And we said, Lord, I'm asking for this. And of course, if we get it for Kaylin, we have to get it for the rest of our children as well, so it's extra. So we're not asking for a specific provision of $160, but we're asking for times three. Actually, $120, but there's mail and all that. 160 total if you include mail. Two days ago, Check came in the mail for eleven hundred dollars, <laughs> so we could pay for that as well as as well as that. And I and I told Kaylin, you know, this is what God did. We wanted God to give you that shows how much God loves you, not just how we love you, but how much God loves you. Does that make sense? So these stories happen in our family a lot. It's happened a lot. So when your children are being brought up. In situations in which your, the parents, who may not be rich, okay, may not have resources, may not even have that much education, are able to see the God thing happen. Not out of their own smartness, out of their own powers, their own strength, but because of God. The ten tendencies for children to believe easily that God is real. But more importantly, that He loves them. Amen? Isn't it amazing? I want to put it to you for those of you who are parents. I was going to say put God to the test, but we Americans have a way of getting that all mixed up and all got twisted and and convoluted. Not put God to the test. Just follow God and ask God. Ask God for things. Allow God to be put first in your life. When you allow God to be put first in your life, it may make you feel like you're disempowered. You don't look that good in the eyes of the world. You don't have that model, cool cool sheen about it. But you are desperate. The world needs genuine miracles. They need genuine miracles. Things that can't be explained away. And when you grow up that way, it's amazing. So that's one. The second thing is this. Um... It says here, verse 15, How blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. And the word for joyful sound is the word teruah, teruah, or teruah, which is also trumpet, it's also a shout. It's the same word that's used for the shout that was used when the children of Israel um, circled Jericho and then gave a shout. And that shout was a buildup of power that came from seven times going around and keeping quiet so that no other voice, no other noise could be heard except the noise of God. It's a seven times round waiting on God in which the Lord is given a chance to build up faith in us. Seven times is completion. So, blessed are the people who know this, this, Torah, this dynamic in which from a place of depression, from a place of discouragement and a place of, uh, of bad news, we're able to come before the Lord and in our utter, utter weakness begin to call upon Him. Not once and then moving out, but waiting until something being, being, begins to build. And as it begins to build, faith begins to overtake discouragement. Faith begins to overtake depression. Depression. My children have to know this. They, know, they need to know that no matter how down they are, there is something in which when they call upon the Lord, this Holy Spirit within them is able to increase His presence, to magnify His presence to such an extent that the thought of the Holy Spirit, the revelation of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit begins to overtake the flesh, overtake our natural Emotions and all that. They need to know that. They need to know what that sounds like. They doesn't. They have to know what it feels like. If not, everything Christianity is just intellectual. It's like one thought against another thought, another uh, one scripture against another uh, objection to the scripture. It's all in the mind. The scripture is not against the mind, but the scripture is in, is, is 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 for an integration in which spirit, soul, and body in which we have an embodied intellect with an embodied. Uh, Experience. And so the children that we raise up need to know how to pray. If, as children, as parents, we don't pray that much, you don't pray enough to see the rise that's happening. And that's what we do in in, in daily prayer. We pray until there's something solid that begins to rise up. We are infantile in this, but we are growing slowly. Slowly, we're growing. But I found that with my own family, there has been a dynamic. It, which which operates every time we experience tremendous setbacks, tremendous tragedy, tremendous um, 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 devastating loss, and all that. We come to that place, and from that place, out from the ground, there's a little tweak, a little peep of belief in the Holy Spirit that the, that God is going to do something, I and mean, it's a little flame. Your children and my children need to know that, need to feel that, to need to be able to recognize that. Saint Isaac says there's science does Saint Isaac of Damascus, I mean, does Science does not know the groaning that nature has. They can see things from the from the from the surface, but they don't know the groaning that's there, that's invisible and 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 unheard with, with the human ear. But there is a groaning that's going on of the spirit. When the spirit groans, when we reach out to him, he begins to activate. But if you do not give him time, you'll just walk away from it and think, well, I know nothing happened, no, nothing, I don't see anything. But waiting upon the Lord involves allowing God to renew our strength. It begins to come up. Now, I have found that in my own life and the life of many of you here, you've experienced tremendous depression, tremendous devastation. I know what it is to not be able to get up from bed for long periods of time. I know what it is to procrastinate and procrastinate, procrastinate until there's no more room for procrastination. And I have procrastinated procrastination. I'm even procrastinating my procrastination. I know what it feels like. But I know also that in the midst of that, if there is a God, He's in there somewhere. And if He's really for me, and if it is really true that the Holy Spirit is there, If I wait upon Him and call upon Him with many iterations, just calling upon Him, praying in the Spirit, He will rise up. I need my children who who have gone through many, many trials to understand that, to, to know that, to know the feel of that. Blessed are the people who know the terroir. Amen? If you are going to raise up children in the Lord, this will take them out of just living Christianity from the mind, just from the intellect, just from human behavior. There's something more that's important that's there. So much so that they can face all kinds of giants and all kinds of mountains. Yeah, amen. So my children are are growing in that. I have to tell you though that all I'm telling you about is not about my family. It's about something bigger that's that's happening that God is doing for all of us. We are part of something bigger that God is doing. We're not just isolated nuclear families just trying our best to do, do what we can with them. God is doing something. God is doing something. My three girls are part of nine girls who are cousins that my brothers, I was going to say own, but no, have. And these nine girls are girls who are precious because they've been brought up in such a way that they put God first in their lives. And they are fully involved in the work of the Lord. One of their cousins just preached her first sermon her parents, which are my siblings, two brothers, one sister, one is in Malaysia, one in Singapore, one, in, one in, in Perth, Australia, no, no, uh, Brisbane, Australia. They are in the Lord. They are being used by God. I mean, one of my brothers is a pastor, one is a dentist. He's a dentist to Lee Kuan Yew, as well as the Sultan of Brunei. So he has the opportunity of looking at the Sultan of Brunei's teeth all the time. He's a witness. He's a witness. But my cousin, my siblings are children of my parents. My mom was one of eight children. They grew up in a small place called Taiping. I just shared, shared with you. She was one of eight, uh, out of 12 children. My mom is now almost 90. Her sister's many of them have dementia. They have dementia. They're all in the Lord. You see, I hear that when you have dementia, who you really are, all your frustrations and all your, your, the state of your soul begins to be manifest. Have you heard that? So one of the things that my children and I love, and, my, and my, my family, Cindy and me, love to do is to go back to Malaysia and see our aunts. Uh, there are about five of them. Is it five of them? They're all unmarried, and they're in their 80s and 90s. All but one of them, I think, has dementia. One has Alzheimer's. If you go and meet them, yeah, they're in their 80s and 90s. You will not stop laughing, because they are full of the mirth of the Lord. They cannot remember anything. You you say something, they will tell you, ask you the sa- same question. One minute, no, not five minutes, but one minute after you just said it. They've asked you the same question, they keep on doing it. Then you ask them, let's sing together a hymn. And they will not need a hymn book. They will just remember. So I look at them and I think, their mind is filled with, honestly, a careless joy and hymns and scriptures. It's not a bad way to go, you know. I hope I I, I will be that reduced to that. My uncle, who just passed away, was a lawyer, a great talker, but towards the end of his life, he didn't say a word to anybody. But when it came to remembering scripture, he just he would just quote scripture and 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 uh, and and share hymns. These twelve grew up very poor. Very, very poor. But all of them are in the Lord. They're all leaders. From a small town called Taiping, they spread out through the rest of Malaysia and became leaders and became leaders in the charismatic movement. They were Plymouth brethren, didn't believe in things of Spirit. Then the Holy Spirit came and set them all on fire. Set them all on fire. And the whole country, I would say, was impacted by that. Business people, you know, and just all the walks of life were impacted by them. It's amazing. It's amazing. My mom married my dad, who before he became a Christian was a staunch Buddhist. Staunch Buddhist. He came to the Lord, and when they became a a couple, he brought all his relatives to the Lord. And uh, when uh, he and my uncle, my, my, my wife's brother, came together during the charismatic movement, the Lord spoke to them to start a church. You've got to understand, my father is a very quiet man, hates to be, be heard, hates to speak too much. If you look at him, you dismiss him. He's not that tall, very short. Just very quiet, very humble man. But that day when he he and my uncle decided that the Lord was leading them to start a church, they didn't even know what to do to start a church. They didn't know how to preach. But my uncle did, not my dad. My dad knew some, but just hated preaching, right? And they started a church and the Holy Spirit fell and miracles started happening. Malaysia is a Muslim country. But in KL, you see the church. I thought I'd show you a few pictures. This is, this is my grandfather and some of his children. Not 12 yet. Let's look at the other one. And this is the church they started. Not bad for someone who just doesn't shies away from preaching. In fact, my whole family is just not like preaching. I'm the biggest big mouth. I'm the big mouth of the family. I'm the one who preaches. The rest of them just don't like preaching. My grandfather, the the father of these 12, was a very, very quiet man. Very, very quiet man. He was brought to the Lord by missionaries. These missionaries came and that is why the co-family do not subscribe to the Western view that missionaries are the bane of Christianity. We don't subscribe to that. You can believe that if you want, but not, not been our that's not been our experience. Missionaries are good. They've been good to us, and we love them. Brought by white missionaries and came to the Lord. He was a very quiet man, and his only ministry was just to write letters. Never preached. Never preached. Twelve, 12 children, Quite poor. One day, when I was in this in this church that they had started, one of the elders, a lawyer, a very prominent lawyer, said, "Michael, do you know how I became a Christian?" He said, "I was in Taipei also, and uh, my father was an atheist. He was against Christianity. He refused to let me go to church. Refused to let me ch- go to church." But then somebody from the church asked, asked me, uh, invited me to go to church. So I decided I would go, but I wanted to ask uh, my father whether he would let me go to church. During those days, people asked their parents whether they could do this or not. Strange days. But anyway, my, my father said immediately, no, you are not allowed to go to church. And then a brainwave came upon me, and he said, this is the church of Mr. Ang Chaitet, who was my grandfather. And immediately my father said, okay, you can go to church. Why? Because, he said, my father told me that Mr. Ang Chaitet worked in the land office as a clerk. Clerk, as you say, clerk. Clerk. He, he worked as a clerk there. And it is a quite low-paying job. But, because you are involved right there in the red tape. Many land office clerks are rich people because they take bribes. And the accessibility of bribes is so easy, so easy. But the father of this lawyer said, but Mr. Ang never took a bribe. That's why he's so poor. (laughs) And because of that, I trust this church, because he's the elder there. Later, later, he became a Christian. Of course, he became a Christian. And so I want to put it to you that his fa- <laughs> from my grandfather onwards to my own children, there is something bigger than me or our family. It is bigger than us. We are part of something bigger. Does that make sense? It is something that God's doing in spite of the fact that the world may be going to pot. But there is something that God's doing. Amen? And I don't care whether you have children or or not, or whether you are single or um, you are double. (laughs) God has spiritual children for you. And God wants to build your house. Amen? Let us pray. Know the terroir, the voice of God, hearing from Him. Be parents who are constantly dependent upon God. Don't allow yourself to be so insulated from God that you never need Him. Unless the Lord builds a house, we labor in vain. That, that build it. Take challenges every challenge will be a place in which God is actually working His mighty works. Put God first. As we consider the word that we've heard, perhaps God is speaking to you.
1: Praise you, God. Amen. Lord, we just thank you that one who had no beginning, that has been here forever and will be here forever, is so concerned about um, our life here on earth even. We love you and thank you for loving us. Though small we may be, though our lives would not be eternal without you, you love us even here. So we just... We want to say to you right now, yes, Lord, please build our houses. You build our house, Lord. Yes, Lord. The way that you want. We know you are a good teacher. We trust you to be the one that will lead us. You will show us when to follow you and hit the nail a bit more. You will show us, God, what to work on. We trust you.
0: Amen. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are building our house. That we don't have to stress out about the kind of house that we are, we are wanting to build. But you are here with us. And we thank you, Lord, that your plans are idiot-proof as well. That you have already made provision for our idiocy. You have made provision for our weakness. And all you do is you call, up, call upon us to call upon you. And so we ask you for a devotion that in this house, in this house this year, you will call out a people who are devoted to prayer, to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and for being together. We thank you, Lord, for the exciting thing that you're doing with children. And we ask you that even now that you open that up to us then in the midst of darkness and then in the midst of chaos, we will see the light there, right there. And we'll live out of that, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. If you have any uh, desire for prayer, feel free to come forward. I wonder whether you know the song, This Is My Desire. I'm going to just um, lead you in this song, if, you, if I could, because I feel this song coming upon me, uh, upon us. <laughs> Perhaps. All right. This is my desire.